diary written in the provincial lunatic asylum this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by elaine webb bristol england diary written in the provincial lunatic asylum by mary Hustis pengilly this little book is humbly dedicated to the province of new brunswick and the state of massachusetts by one who has had so sad an experience in this the sixty-second year of her age that she feels it to be her imperative duty to lay it before the public in such a manner as shall reach the hearts of the people in this her native province as also the people of massachusetts with whom she had a refuge since driven from her own home by the st john fire of eighteen seventy seven she sincerely hopes it may be read in every state of the union as well as throughout the dominion of canada that it may help to show the inner workings of their hospitals and asylums and prompt them to search out better methods of conducting them as well for the benefit of the superintendent as the patient december they will not allow me to go home and i must write these things down for fear i forget it will help to pass the time away it is very hard to endure this prison life and know that my sons think me insane when i am not how unkind mrs mills is to-day does she think this sort of treatment is for the good of our health i begged for milk to-day and she can't spare me any she has not enough for all the old women she says i don't wish to deprive any one of that which they require but have i not a right to all i require to feed me and make me well all i do need is good nourishing food and no better than any one else can what i require to build me up and make me as i was before i met with this strange change of condition i remember telling the doctor on his first visit to my room that i only needed biscuit and milk and beef tea to make me well he rose to his feet and said i know better than any other man that was all i heard him say and he walked out leaving me without a word of sympathy or a promise that i should have anything i say to myself as i always talk aloud to myself when not well you don't know any more than this old woman does i take tea with mrs mills i don't like to look at those patients who look so wretched i can't bear to see myself in the glass i am so wasted so miserable my poor boys no wonder you look so sad to see your mother looking so badly and be compelled to leave her here alone among strangers who know nothing about her past life they don't seem to have any respect for me if i were the most miserable woman in the city of st john i would be entitled to better treatment at the hands of those who are paid by the province to make us as comfortable as they can by keeping us warmed and fed as poor feeble invalids should be kept december the twentieth i have made myself quite happy this week thinking of what christmas may bring to many childish hearts 
and how i once tried to make my own dear boys happy at christmas time i helped poor maggie to make artificial flowers for a wreath she herself had made of cedar she was making it for some friend in the asylum she never goes out she wishes to go sometimes but mrs mills scolds her a little then she works on and says no more about it poor maggie there is nothing ailing her but a little too much temper she does all the dining-room work washes dishes and many other things january they have had a festival it was made i suppose to benefit someone here i don't know whom it certainly did not benefit me any no one invited me to go to the church where the festival was held but dr crookshank the assistant physician looked at me very kindly and said do come miss pengilly you may as well come i looked at my dress it is grey flannel and i have had no other to change since i came here i can't go looking like this i must be a little better dressed to go into a public meeting of any kind i am not accustomed to go looking like this with nothing on my neck he said very well something shall come to you and mrs hayes who is assistant nurse in our ward brought me a plate of food and fruit such as is generally had at festivals i have not had my trunk yet sure the boys did not leave me here without my trunk perhaps they do not wish me to go in sight of people from the city for fear they will recognize me and i should make my complaints known to them i have entreated them to give me my trunk so many times in vain that i have given it up i did ask mrs mills and she says ask mrs murphy she has charge of the trunk room i asked her she says she will see and she will bring me whatever i need that is in it she puts me off with a soft answer until i begin to think there is nothing done for any one here only what they cannot avoid it is a self-running establishment i guess for no one seems to know how or when to do anything i wish to have done whatever they may do for others february the weather is cold i have more to occupy my time now i have learned how to let off the cold air from the radiators and then we get more heat i do it when no one sees me i shall do all i can to make myself comfortable and they all share it when i arise in the morning my first thought is to look up the hall to see if there is fire in the grate the one little grate in that large hall to give warmth and comfort to us poor prisoners if the fire is there i feel pleased i go up as soon as the sweeping is done and try to feel at home i tell the nurse i will tend the fire if she will have the coal left beside the grate sometimes they allow it willingly and i enjoy it i brush up the hearth and make it look cheerful and homelike as possible i draw up the huge uncomfortable seats to form a circle they stand round until i get there they are happy to sit with me but they don't know enough to draw up a seat for themselves i have found pleasure in this it cheers my heart there is no situation in life however unpleasant it may be but has some bright places in it i love to cheat mrs mills i watch my chance when she is not near 
and let off the cold air in the radiator until the warm air comes and then close it i add coal to the fire saying to myself this castle belongs to the province and so do i we have a right to all the comforts of life here and especially so when five dollars a week is paid for our board let us have a nice fire and bask in its comforting rays i love the heat if the seats at the grate get filled up i come back to the radiator perhaps it is warm enough to afford to have the window open a few moments to let the impure air escape just a little of it then i sit close by it calling it my kitchen fireplace i am regulating the comfort of this ward in a measure but they don't know it february my dear lewis has been to see me today we chat together as usual how can he think me crazy dr steves tells him i am i suppose and so he thinks it must be so he is so happy to see me looking better he is more loving than ever he holds my hand in his and tells me he will take me out for a drive when the weather is fine and i said oh lewis my dear boy i am well enough to go home with you to your hotel now i so long for some of mrs burns good dinners her meals are all nice and here we have such horrid stuff dark coloured sour baker's bread with miserable butter constitutes our breakfast and tea there is oatmeal porridge and cheap molasses at breakfast but i could not eat that it would be salts and senna for me at noon we have plenty of meat and vegetables indifferently cooked but we don't require food suitable for men working out of doors we need something to tempt the appetite a little no matter what i say how earnestly i plead he believes dr steves in preference to me if i should die here he will still believe dr steves who looks so well they cannot think he would do so great a wrong when i first began to realize that i must stay here all winter i begged the doctor to take me to his table or change his baker i cannot live on such fare as you give us here his reply was i don't keep a boarding-house who does keep this boarding-house is there any justice on earth or under heaven will this thing always be allowed to go on sometimes i almost sink in despair one consolation is left me some day death will unlock these prison doors and my freed spirit will go forth rejoicing in its liberty there is a dear girl here whose presence has helped to pass the time more pleasantly and yet i am more anxious on her account how can her mother leave her so long in such care as this ah they cannot know how she is faring she often says i used to have nice cake at home and could make it too she has been teaching school has overworked had a fever lost her reason and came here last june she is well enough to go home i fear if they leave her here much longer she will never recover her spirits she is afraid of mrs mills and dare not ask for any favour mrs mills is vexed if she finds her in my room and does not like to see us talking i suppose she fears we will compare notes to her disadvantage 
or detrimental to the rules of the house i think it is against the rules of this house that we should be indulged in any of the comforts of life march at last i have my trunk why it should have been detained so long i cannot conceive i feel rich in the possession of the little needful articles it contains i inquired of dr steves some time ago if he had not in the asylum a supply of necessary articles for our use telling him i wanted a paper of pins very much he said they were for the indigent patients so i got none my son tom gave me some small silver some weeks ago but i was no better off no one would do me an errand outside i begged mrs mills at different times to buy me some pins and to buy me an extra quart of milk i was so hungry for milk but she said it was against the rules of the house she gives me now a glass nearly full at bedtime with one soda biscuit this is the only luxury we have here some others get the same it is because i have tried to make her think we are her children left in her care i said to her feed my lambs you are our shepherd and she is if she only knew it i have quoted the works of him whose example we should all follow do good unto others i am watching over those poor lambs now to see how they are tended and i will tell the commissioners in whose care the asylum is left by the province the people of new brunswick suppose they attend to it the commissioners have placed it in the care of dr steves and they believe him quite capable of conducting it properly is this the way it should be done i don't think so i observed miss fowler to-day holding her hand to her eye which is looking inflamed she is blind a well-educated delicate gentlewoman i take more than usual interest in her for that reason i often sit beside her and she tells me of her mother and wants me to go home with her to number one she does not seem a lunatic and she is neglected i tied her eye up with my own handkerchief and a wet rag on it i did not mean to offend i had done so before and it was not observed mrs mills came along just as i had done it she jerked it off in anger and threw it on the floor i said to her that is not a christian act but she pays no heed perhaps her morning work makes her feel cross i come back to my own room and write again what shall i do i cannot how can i stay here any longer and i cannot get away locked in as prisoners in our rooms at night fed like paupers if i were committed to the penitentiary for a crime i would not be used any worse than i am here my heart longs for sympathy and has it not i have tried to soften mrs mills's heart and win her sympathy but i cannot and i cannot withhold my pity for those poor invalids who fare even worse than i march the thirteenth i must write this while fresh in my mind for i fear i may forget there is a miss short here a fair-headed nice-looking girl 
she stands up and reads in the testament as if she were in sunday school recites poetry and tries to play on the piano i did not think her much out of order when she came but she is now she has grown steadily worse her father came to see her and she cried to go home with him i wished very much to tell him to take her home but mrs mills did not leave them and i dared not speak to him she has grown so much worse she tears her dress off so they have to put leather handcuffs on her wrists so tight they make her hands swell i say oh mrs mills don't you see they are too tight her hands look ready to burst purple with blood she paid no heed it does not hurt her any yesterday she tied a canvas belt round her waist so tight that it made my heart ache to look at it i am sure it would have stopped my breath in a short time they tied her to the back of the seat with the ends of it march the seventeenth another poor victim has come to our ward to-day a black-eyed delicate-looking girl she looked so sad i was drawn to her at once i sat beside her in mrs mills's absence and inquired the cause of her trouble she said her food gave her pain she is dyspeptic if the doctor would question the patients and their friends as to the cause of their insanity they might as in other cases of illness know what remedy to apply this dear child has been living at dr w m baynard's three years chambermaid that is enough to assure me she is a good girl i think she wears her dress too tight i have loosened her laces and underskirts to make them easy they are all neat and tidy as if she had come from a good home another day is here that poor girl is in great trouble yet when i went out into the hall this morning she was kneeling by the door she laid her cheek on the bare floor praying for her sins to be forgiven murmuring something of those who had gone before i cannot think she has sinned poor child she has lost her health in some way she has transgressed some law of nature i think it has been tight lacing that caused some of the trouble for she sat up on the floor when i invited her to stand up for fear someone would open the door and walk over her and rubbed the calf of her leg saying it was all numb anything too tight causes pain and distress by interrupting the free circulation of the blood she is so pitiful and sad how could mrs mills speak so unkindly to her pushing her with her foot to make her rise up she treats them like wicked schoolboys who have done something to torment her and merit punishment i cannot but pity mrs mills for this is an uncomfortable position to fill and if she has always obeyed her superintendent she has done her duty and deserves a retired allowance the younger nurses are all learning from her and will grow hard-hearted for they think she is one to teach them they come to her for help in case of emergency and they go all together and are able to conquer by main strength what might in most cases be done by a gentle word a soft answer turneth away wrath i have known this all my life 
but I never felt it so forcibly as now. There is a lady here from Westmoreland. Her hair is cut short, and her eyes are black and wild. The first time I spoke to her, she struck me lightly, and I walked away. I knew she was crazy. After I had met her a few times, and found she was not dangerous, I ventured to sit down beside her. She was lying on her couch in a room of the dining room. She lay on her back, knitting, talking in a rambling way. Do you know what kind of place this is? Aren't you afraid I'll kill you? I wish I was like you. I smoothed her hair with my hand as I would a child. I thought perhaps she had done some great wrong. She said she had killed her mother. Often before I had stood beside her, for I looked at her a number of times before I ventured to sit by her. I had no recollection of seeing her when I first came, till I found her in this room. I suppose she was so violent they shut her in here to keep her from striking or injuring anyone. I could not discover the cause of her trouble, but I comforted her all I could, and she has always been friendly with me since, and listened to my words as if I were her mother. She has been here a long time. Last Friday, bathing day, two young, strong nurses were trying to take her from her room to the bathroom. I suppose she was unwilling to be washed, for I have noticed when I saw her in that room on the couch, she was not clean as she should be. Her clothes did not have a good air about them. The nurses were using force, and she struggled against it. They used the means they often use. I suppose that is their surest method of conquering the obstinate spirit that will rise up to defend itself if any child or woman. She was made more violent by her hair being pulled. One nurse had her hands, and the other caught her by her hair, which is just long enough to hold by. They made her walk. I was walking near them when I saw one seize her by the hair. She tried to bite her on the arm. I started forward and laid my hand on her arm with, Don't, my poor child, don't do so. Be gentle with her, girls, and she will go. She looked at me and her face softened. That angry spirit melted within her, and they went on to the bathroom. Shortly after that I met her looking fresh and nice. She was in Mrs. Mills's room, in her rocking chair. Sometimes I look in there to see if that chair is empty, to have a rock in it myself. I think it's better for the health to knit in a rocking chair than to lay down and knit or read either, so I leave her there. Perhaps she has read too much and injured her brain. If so, I would not let her read so much. March the 20th Poor Mrs. Mills has served 32 years here and has become hardened, as one will, to any situation or surroundings. She is too an old woman, and her temper has been too much tried. She is tidy and works well for so old a woman, but she is not fit for a nurse. If she were a British soldier, and had served her country so long, she would be entitled to a pension. Poor Miss Short! Last week I saw her lying on the floor nearly under the bed, her dress torn, her hair dishevelled. How can her friends leave her so long? Some ladies came to see her a short time ago, 
and as they left the hall i heard her call them to take her with them if they knew all as i do they would not leave her here another day there is a mist snow here from st stephen's i remember distinctly when i first came she raved all the time i did not dare to look in her bedroom i must write something of myself to-day i can look back and see plainly all my journey here the day may come when i shall be laid away in the grave and my boys the dear boys i have loved so well will look over my trunk and find this manuscript they will then perhaps believe i am not crazy i know dr steves tell them i am a lunatic yet they will weep over this as they think of the mother they have left here to die among strangers it would be happiness to die surrounded by my friends to be able to tell them they have only to live well that they may die well to be true to ourselves and to our fellows is all the good we need that i have always striven to do does now my spirit feed i have been so near the grave the borderland of heaven i heard angels voices they talked with me even as they did with john on the isle of patmos when they said to him worship god who sent me i was very much alone engaged in writing a book on the laws of health my desire to write increased i became so absorbed with my work i forgot to eat and after a day or two i seemed to think i had done some wrong the angel voices whispered me that i must fast and pray i know i had plenty of food in my closet but i don't remember eating any more i fasted eight days and felt comfortable and happy most of the time i sang to myself o death where is thy sting where is thy victory boasting grave i wept for my own sins and wished to die the world to save i was trying to perform some ancient rite or vow one day and my sons came in i ordered them away but they would not go they said they would bring me home for lewis who was living with me near boston sent for my son t m pengilly who is proprietor of a drug store in st john i suppose he discovered i was fasting and saw me failing so fast he telegraphed to tom to come to his assistance i remember i kissed him when he came asked him what he came for and bade him leave me i know now how unreasonable that was for we had no other room but lewis's bedroom and in it there was no fire we had rented rooms as lewis took his meals at a boarding-house near poor boys they went in and out it seemed to me they did not eat or sleep for some days i thought they were as crazy as i was in the cars they brought dr hunter to see me i had been acquainted with him some time previous i told him i was sorry they had brought him to see me for i needed no physician i only needed to fast and pray i know you are a good man dr hunter but you need not come to see me again i will be all right in time god and his angels will keep me always these were my words to him i know not what prompted me i suppose it was my insanity i think i told them to nail up the doors and leave me there till summer that was the last week of october my poor boys how tried 
and worried they must have been they watched me night and day alternately i told them i had not talked with them enough of my own religion i begged tom to read the bible and kneel and pray but he would not i think he fell asleep in my rocking-chair how often i have wished for that rocking-chair since i came here on sunday morning i heard them say we will go home in the first train lois went out to see about it and i told tom i wished to take the sacrament and he should give it to me for he would yet be bishop of st john st thomas he should be called i can but laugh when i think of it now but it was very real to me then i had been a member a communicant of st james's church Episcopal, some years i had taken my boys to sunday school to receive that religious instruction which i was not qualified to give they had accompanied me to church always but i felt as if i had not spoken to them on religious subjects as i ought to have done it is fourteen years i think since i was christened in st james's church by reverend william armstrong whose voice i always loved to hear in the beautiful service of our church i was confirmed by bishop john fredrington in trinity church i well remember the pressure of that reverend hand upon my head and the impressive words of his address to us who were that day received into the church let your inner life be as good or better than your outer life if you would be worthily known as his children he desired the young men in particular to take up some useful study to occupy their leisure hours something outside of their everyday business of life what better words could have been said i would that the young men of the present day should often hear those words and accept them as a rule of their life i float away from thoughts of my insanity to the days when i was at home going to church with my children i must return to my subject they brought the table to my bedside i kept my eyes closed i received the bread from the hand of one son and the wine from the hand of the other i tasted it and my fast was broken i discovered to my great surprise it was only toast and tea they had improved upon my wish and thought to feed me their poor wasted mother they dressed me for the journey i would not assist them any they had not obeyed my wish to be left alone in my room all winter so when i yielded to them i left all for them to do the only thing i did myself was to take from the closet this grey flannel dress i had made it for travelling before i left loud for old orchard they did not seem to know what they were doing i had two bonnets but they never mentioned them as i remember they left my nightcap on and tied a silk handkerchief over it they carried me downstairs in their arms and lifted me in the coach after we were on our way in the cars i found my hair was hanging down my back i had nothing to fasten it up with and i arranged the handkerchief to cover it i began to feel happy with the thought of going home i tried to cheer them and they could not help smiling at me i wondered they were not ashamed of me i looked so badly i told them not to call me mother to say i was old mrs sinnett that they were bringing me home to my friends poor boys i wonder if they remember that journey in the cars as i do at my request tom brought me a goblet of milk 
at two stopping-places and when i found they had brought me to an asylum i felt no fear i thought i had only to ask and receive what i needed i knew they thought me crazy so i would not bid them good-bye when they left me but concluded to play lunatic i refused to kiss lewis when he left me that dear boy who had watched over me so faithfully carrying me in his arms from one car to the other when we changed cars he placed me in a pullman car and i thought i was safely hidden from something i knew not what i only know i was so happy while i was with my sons nothing troubled me i sang and chatted to lewis he would not leave me a moment he kneeled beside my berth and i called him my best of sons and smoothed his hair with my hand all my journey through i heard the voice of angels whispering to me hold on by the hand of your sons keep them with you and you will be safe they are your sons they are the sons of god and they are all who do their duty as they were doing to the best of their ability are the children of god for if we do the best we can angels can do no more i thought i was perfectly safe here and if the doctor had given me the food which should be given to an invalid or if he had granted any request i made to him in a reasonable manner i should not have been prompted to write these lines or recall those memories of the past one thought brings another when on the morning after my arrival i begged for milk and biscuit they refused and then brought a bowl of common-looking soup with black-looking baker's bread i refused to eat it if it had been beef tea with soda biscuit in it i would have taken it myself they did not live to coax crazy people mrs mills called in her help and it did not need money i was so weak they held me back and she stuffed the soup down my throat when i came here first i told the nurse my name was mary hustis that was my maiden name i hardly know why i prefer that to my son's name for they are sons no mother need be ashamed of my prayers for them have always been that they might be a benefit to their fellows that they grow to be good men to be able to fill their places in the world as useful members of society not living entirely for themselves but for the good of others an honour to themselves and a blessing to the world if we live well we will not be afraid to die perfect love casteth out fear i must write no more to-day march twenty fourth two years ago to-day i was watching by the bedside of my dying child driven from our home by the fire i was tarrying for her to complete her education in the city of lowell which is the second to no city in the world for its educational privileges free schools with books free to all its children and excellent teachers to lowell schools and to my darling child i must here pay this tribute the day after her death the principal of the school she attended addressed the school with these words clara pengilly has attended this school two years and i have never heard a fault found with her there has never been a complaint brought to me by teacher or schoolmates concerning her her teacher brought me two large bouquets to ornament the room at her funeral 
sent by the pupils and teachers of the school where she had been a happy attendant for she loved her teachers and always told me how good and kind they were to her no wonder everyone loved her for she had a loving heart and a nature so full of sunshine she could not be unhappy we had boarded eight months with a lady whose only daughter was blind from her birth clara loved to lead her out for a walk and read to her at home no pleasure was complete unless shared with her blind friend who was younger than herself and whose life she could brighten by her willingness to devote her unoccupied time to her service dear Lorel, we all loved her for her goodness and pitied her for her infirmity the boarders and others at her home sent flowers too her mother arranged a green vine and flowers round her face and in her hand when she had finished she said that is the last we can do for you clara i know she was so fond of flowers she would be pleased if she could see them i cared not for the flowers i only knew that loving heart was stilled in death and i was left alone with an effort i said Lorel, i will never know a truer friend than she who lies here my tears unbidden flow why do i go back in memory to those sorrowful days i know she is happy now let me draw the veil of charity over the past with all its troubles remembering only the many acts of kindness done for us by our friends at that time it is this waiting so long a prisoner begging to be liberated my hands will not remain folded or my brain idle i must write again of poor miss snow i ventured into her room feeling anxious to help her by coaxing her into a better frame of mind she is wasted to a shadow i am sure if she had any food to tempt her to eat she would grow stronger some nice bread and milk at bedtime would help her to sleep i soothed her as i would a child in trouble until she ceased her raving and then questioned her to discover the cause of her disease she is a well-educated intelligent lady in her ravings she often says she is the only lady in the hall and seems to have a temper of her own which has been made more than violent by her stay in this ward she is very fond of drawing small pencil sketches and works at them late at night which i think is certainly injurious i conclude she is the victim of late hours and fancy work she acknowledges she used to sew till after twelve working for bazaars if the ladies would only come here and study the needs of these poor victims of insanity and make better arrangements for their welfare they would find a higher calling than exhausting their energies working for bazaars and leaving us to the care of those who care nothing for us and will not learn too much temper and too much indolence rule here i go in sometimes and coax her to stop talking and lie down i cover her up to keep her warm she is blue with the cold if i could keep her in a nice warm room with kind treatment and nourishing food she could not eat that horrible sour baker's bread with poor butter sometimes her food would set in her room a long time i guess she only eats when she is so starved she can't help it 
I eat because I am determined to live until I find some one who will help me out of this castle on the hill, that I may tell the commissioners all about it. Sometimes I term it a college in which I am finishing my education, and I shall graduate some day. When will it be? My impatient spirit chafes at this long delay. I sit at the grated window and think, if I were one of those little pigeons on the window sill, I would be happy, content to be anything, if only at liberty. April The friends of Miss Short have been here and taken her home, and word returned that she is better. I am thankful to think she is with her mother, and I do not see her so improperly treated. It made me feel wretched to think of her. Poor Katie Dugan's friends came one day. I watched my chance and told one of them to let her mother know she was getting worse and was not well treated. I had many heartaches for that girl. I scarcely know why. They must have seen she looked worse. Her dress of flannel trimmed with satin on the same colour, which looked so nice when she came, was filthy with spots of gruel and milk they had been forcing her to eat. This day, I remember, was worse than common days of trouble. I had been excited by seeing one of the most inoffensive inmates pushed and spoken to very roughly, without having done anything wrong. They attempted to comb that poor girl's hair. She will not submit, begs and cries to go down there. I go to the bathroom door to beg them to be gentle with her. Mrs. Mills slammed the door in my face. She is vexed at any expression of sympathy. Again I hear that pitiful cry, and I go up the hall to see what the trouble is. They had taken her inner room to hold her on the floor, by those heavy, strong nurses sitting on her arms and feet, while they force her to eat. I return, for I cannot endure the sight. I met Mrs. Mills with a large spoon going to stuff her as she did me. I was not dyspeptic. I had fasted and would have eaten if they had given me milk as I requested. She was angry at me again. She ordered me to my room and threatened to lock me in. What have I done to merit such treatment? How can I endure this any longer? April the 3rd. Yesterday was election day of the alderman of the city of St. John. Dr. Steeves came in this morning and congratulated me very pleasantly that my son was elected alderman. I thanked him and said I was not at all surprised, for he was very popular in his ward, always kind and courteous to everyone. He had made many friends. He must know I am perfectly sane, but I can't persuade him to tell my son I am well enough to go home. My dear Lewis, has gone eight hundred miles beyond Winnipeg surveying. I am sorry to have him go so far. Will I ever see him again? But I feel so badly when he comes to see me and refuses to take me home with him, and I say to myself, I would die here alone rather than he, my darling boy, should be shut in here and treated as I am. For his temper, if so opposed, would make him a maniac. I have dreamed of seeing him looking wretched and crying for fresh air, for he was suffocating. All the time I had those troubled dreams, I was smothering with gas coming in my room through the small grating, intending to admit heat 
to make us comfortable but it did not i was obliged to open the window to be able to breathe my lungs required oxygen to breathe when i was lying in bed not gas from hard coal there is one lady whose room is carpeted and furnished well but she is so cold she sits flat on the carpet besides the little grate trying to be warm she has not enough clothing on to keep her warm her friends call often but they never stay long enough to know that her room is cold they cannot know how uncomfortable she is or what miserable food she has for we all fare alike april is nearly gone tom has promised to come for me on monday i feel so happy to think i am going to be free once more i sat on my favourite seat in the window-sill looking at those poor men working on the grounds there were three they did not look like lunatics no overseer near them they were shovelling the spading and three ducks followed them fed by the all-father's hand they gathered food for themselves the men never disturbed them they cannot be violent many a farmer would be willing to give one of those men a permanent home for his services the knowledge that this home is here for them to return to would ensure them kind treatment at the hand of the farmer i am sure they would prefer life on a farm with good palatable food and liberty to being shut up here as prisoners and fed as paupers as we in the ladies ward are without one word or look of sympathy or respect extending to us one day this week i had been watching one of the men working at the strawberry beds thinking i would like to live on a farm now that i might cultivate those lovely berries the doctor came in to make his usual morning call in the hall with a book and pencil in his hand that is all he ever does for us i thought i would make him think i thought him a gentleman which he is not and perhaps he would be more willing to let me go home it has taken effect i suppose he thinks i have forgotten all the doings of the past winter and that i will not dare to say anything against such a mighty man as he is i am glad i have taken it down in black and white so as not to forget the wrongs of the province and the wrongs of those poor neglected women of whom i am one i ought not to write in this manner but my indignation overcomes me sometimes and i cannot help it he is a little more social now than usual and i suggest that if he bring blackberry bushes from the field and set them around the fence keeping the ground irrigated round the roots he might have as nice fruit as the cultivated he said yes he would send some of his men out to his farm and get some and he left as pleasant as he came that was the first time he ever left me without being driven away by my making some request and being refused this reminds me of the day i begged so hard for a pot of holloway's ointment i had asked my boys several times to bring it to me and i thought they always forgot it i had used it many years not constantly only for a little rash on my face at times it has annoyed me very much lately this day i had urged him all i could and he left me saying he had too much on his mind to-day i followed him to the door saying i don't want to think so ill of you doctor as that you will not grant me so small a favour a twenty-five cent favour 
and I will pay you for it. Saturday morning. I am so impatient, I hardly dare to hope. Will I be free to breathe the air of heaven again, to walk out in the warmth of his sunshine? Perhaps I am punished for questioning the exact truth of that story so long ago, that I could not quite explain to myself or believe how it could be handed down over so many years. I have stood almost where he has stood once before in my life. The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath not where to lay his head. I have been led by the spirit into the wilderness. Pontius Pilate is not here to say, I find no sin in this man, but there are those here who would lock me in, and never let me set my foot outside of these walls, if they knew I was writing this with the hope of laying it before the province. Yesterday was bathing day, a cold, damp April day, no steam on. I tried the radiators, but there was no hot air to come. The young teacher, in whom I was so much interested, and whose name I will not give here, as she always begged me not to mention her name, she stood with me at the radiator trying to find some heat. The doctor came in, and I say, Doctor, can't you send up some coal here? There is only a few red coals in the grate, no steam on, and we are nearly frozen. He said, The hard coal is all gone. Well, send us some soft coal, wood, anything to keep us warm. He left us. No coal came till after dinner. I met one of the nurses in the next ward. I told her our wants, and she sent it by a young man who was always attentive and respectful. But we could not always find a messenger who would take the trouble to find him. The doctor has been in again. Mary and I were together as usual. He looked at us very pleasantly, and I said, You will be able to send us home now soon, surely. He drew me away from her, saying, I don't wish her to hear this. Don't you know, Mr. Ring went to Annapolis and hung himself. They did not watch him well, said I and he left thinking, I suppose that he had silenced me effectually. I went to Mrs. Mills and inquired about Mr. Ring, and learned that he had never been here, and was quite an old man. What had that to do with us? We have no wish to harm ourselves or anyone else. I see now that it is the influence he uses to induce people to leave their friends here. My son told me one day he had kept the asylum so well the public were perfectly satisfied with him. No wonder he conducts it so well, when there are so few lunatics here. I suppose he has left me here, waiting for me to get satisfied too. Well, I am. But as soon as I am out, I shall write to Mary's mother to come for her, for I can hardly go and leave her here. I have taken her in my heart as my own. She is so good a girl wasting her precious life here for the amusement of others. I do not see anything else in it. St. John's Hotel, April the 30th. At last I am free, seated in my own room at the hotel. I look back at that prison on the hill. I had won a little interest in the hearts of the nurses in our ward. They expressed regret at my leaving. Ellen Regan, who was the first to volunteer me any kindness, said, we shall miss you, Mrs. Pengilly, for you always had a cheerful word for everyone. 
I did not bid all the patients good-bye, for I hoped soon to return and stay with them. I would like so much to look after these poor women, who are so neglected. I will ask the commissioners to allow me to remain with them, if only one year, to superintend the female department, not under the jurisdiction of the present superintendent, but with the assistance of the junior physician and the nurses, who each understand the work of their own departments, and will be willing to follow my instructions. I will teach them to think theirs is no common servitude, merely working for pay, but a high responsibility is attached to this work, of making comfortable those poor unfortunates entrusted to their care, and they will learn to know they are working for a purpose worth living for, and they will be worthy of the title Sisters of Mercy. Tuesday. I have been to the Solicitor General, and left him with a copy of parts of my diary, and I am prepared to attest to its truth before the Board of Commissioners, whenever it shall meet. He said he was pleased to have my suggestions, as they now had the Provincial Lunatic Asylum under consideration, and assured me he would attend to it. His words and manners assure me he is a gentleman to be relied on, and I feel safe in leaving my case in his hands. June. I have spent three weeks in Ferredictum, the capital of New Brunswick, while waiting for the Board of Commissioners to meet and discuss the affairs of the Provincial Lunatic Asylum, concerning which my time at present is devoted. They are members of government and seem to be too busy for anything. I called on the Attorney General with what effect he himself best knows. It is not worth repeating here. I will only say neither he nor his partner quite understand the courtesy due to a woman or lady. It cannot be expected of persons who are overloaded with business that they shall have leisure sufficient to oversee the arrangements of the provincial lunatic asylum, which needs, like any other household, a woman's care to make it perfect. In my wanderings since the fire of 1877, I boarded some weeks at the YWCA, a home in Boston, a beautiful institution, conducted entirely by ladies. It was a comfortable, happy home, ruled by ladies who were like mothers or friends to all its occupants, and under the supervision of a committee of ladies who visited every week. It is such arrangements we need to perfect the working of our public institutions, where a woman's care is required as in a home. Men are probably outside agents, but women should attend to the inner working of any home. The Tewkesbury affair of 1883 stands a disgrace to the New England states, who had so long prided themselves on their many public charitable institutions, and which have, without question, been an honour to her people. I am sorry to say they are not all perfect as I learned from the lips of a young man in this hotel, who looked as if he were going home to die. He had been waiting some weeks in the Boston City Hospital, until the warm weather should make his journey less dangerous in his weak state. If I should live a hundred years, I should never get that hospital off my mind, were his words, as he lay back in his chair, looking so sad, a disagreeable, unkind nurse, a cold ward, and miserable food, his words touched a responsive chord in my heart, 
for my experiences had been similar to his. I could never forget them. Let me here entreat the ladies, wherever this book may be read, that they take this work upon themselves, rise up in your own strength, and solicit the governor to appoint you as commissioners, as you are over your old ladies' homes. If the governor has the authority or power to appoint those who now form the board of commissioners of the provincial lunatic asylum, he can surely invest you with the same title, and you will not any longer allow your fellow sisters to be neglected by those who cannot understand the weakness or the misfortunes that have brought them under the necessity of being protected by the public. Before leaving Fredericton, I called at the government house to lay my case before His Excellency, the Lieutenant Governor, hoping to awaken his sympathy in our cause, and urge him to call an early meeting of the board. I was so anxious to return to the care of those poor feeble women I had left in the asylum, so anxious to right their wrongs. I could not be restrained by friend or foe from finishing this work so near my heart. Some of my friends really believe me insane on the subject. There are those who can apply this to themselves, and others whose kindness and hospitality I shall ever remember with grateful pleasure. They will none of them doubt the truth of this statement. Governor Wilmot did not doubt me. He received me very kindly, as did also his good lady. After conversing with him on the subject until I felt I ought not trespass any longer on his time, I rose to leave, and at the door expressed a wish for a bunch of lilacs that grew in great abundance on large bushes interspread with trees, and which made the grounds look very beautiful. He gathered me a bunch with his own hand, for which I felt thankful and highly honoured. As we walked together, I told him my father's name. Lewis Hustis, said he. I knew him well. I had not known that, but I did know that Wilmot had always been an honoured name in my father's house. When bidding him good-bye, I again referred to the old subject by saying, I have lost my home and business by the fire. My sons are scattered abroad in the world, and do not need my care. I would like to devote my remaining years, as far as I am able, to better the condition of those poor sufferers in the asylum. He answered, I hope you will, for I think it will be well for them to have your care, and I will do all I can to assist you. These were his words, as near as I can remember, and I left the government house, feeling as if I had been making a pleasant call and an old friend. I write these last few lines as a tribute of respect, to the memory of the name of Governor Wilmot, and that of my own father, who always had the interest of his country at heart. I returned to the city, feeling cheered by the words of encouragement and sympathy I had received. It well repaid me for the trouble of my journey to Fredericton. I will leave this subject now in the hands of the ladies, wherever this little book may find them who having leisure and influence were not, I hope, fail to use them for the benefit of suffering humanity, remembering we are all children of one Father, our Father in heaven. Improve the talent he has given you, that it may be said to you, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Respectfully, M. H. P. End of 
Diary written in the Provincial Lunatic Asylum by Mary Hustis Pengilly.